0: And welcome to Taxland with me, Fletch Chinaman And me, Sarah Lancaster.
1: Welcome to the last episode of Taxland for 2023. Fletch, we made it. Congratulations. It's
0: very exciting. And this will be our Christmas episode.
1: Indeed. The Christmas special for all of our avid listeners. So anyone who is an Australian tax resident at the moment and expecting to receive an amount that's paid to them or applied for their benefit, and I'll put an asterisk on that, from a trust, we have a special Christmas treat for you. Today, we're talking about Section 99B.
0: I feel like that's the uh, that's a Christmas treat that's delivered by the Grinch, isn't it? That uh, here comes your present and along with it a whopping great tax liability.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it could be. We could have done it worse. You know, we were contemplating doing an anti-avoidance topic for the last one of the <laughs> season, so I, I think we're
0: doing well. We'll park that for next year. Uh,
1: now, Fletch, 99B is a strange section, um, or oh, I think it's strange anyway. It taxes capital distributions rather than income, unless, of course, you're thinking about uh, unaccumulated income being capital, in which case it taxes income. Uh, But before we get into the detail of it, because I know 99B is full of those little three word phrases that we love to pour over as lawyers, can you give us an example, or I guess a really common example, a stereotypical example of when 99B trips up taxpayers?
0: Yeah, I think there's a, a fact pattern that keeps recurring. And um, for me, sometimes it's like that recurring dream that you uh, you want to end, but it never does.
1: <laughs> the song that never ends.
0: Which is, um, so we, we see a lot of uh, New Zealand trusts and typically how it works is that there's property in New Zealand that then is transferred into a New Zealand trust. So the trustees are in New Zealand, yep. it's operated in New Zealand. Um, apparently it was a, uh, a trendy thing to do in tax land in New Zealand uh, for a period of time. So we see a lot of properties in New Zealand trusts, a lot of the main residences as well that have been transferred into the New Zealand Trust. Um, and where those properties have been transferred into the New Zealand Trust, and if that was, say, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, uh, we can assume that the the price of that or the value of that property has gone up significantly yep. during that time. Uh, Then what we get to is the point that um, some of the kids who are beneficiaries of that trust have become Australian tax residents. Yep. Um, So they've moved to Australia. Um, And unfortunately we're getting to the stage there that mum and dad as the original controllers of that trust are starting to pass away. And so the issue comes as to how we're distributing the proceeds of the trust. So typically the, the problem that we've got is that if that trust then goes and sells the property uh, in New Zealand and it's got a significant capital gain and then we distribute that capital gain uh, to Australian tax residents, then Section 99B is basically going to tax the capital gain component of that of that distribution. So the, the full amount would be subject to tax under Section 99B. There's some amounts that are then excluded, but for current purposes really we're looking at the the cost base of the property when it was transferred in. So sometimes that's pretty marginal. Yeah. Um. And uh, and then from there, we need to be mindful that there's no general fifty percent discount. So it's, it's taxed at marginal rates. So it can be a. Very significant tax yep. liability.
1: Bit of, bit of pill to swallow. Okay, then. Thank you. All right. So, we'll get into then – okay. So, that's the high-level aspect of where 99B ends up in a stereotypical example. Let's go back to the start. Mm-hmm. As we know, it's a very good place to start. Um 99B was introduced in what the late 70s, Very to, late 70s yep, yep. to deal with a specific anti-avoidance issue. It came out of a case called Union Fidelity Trustee Co of Australia and the uh, Federal Commissioner of the Taxation and the High Court uh, made a finding in that case. Talk us about, talk us through what happened in Union Fidelity.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting um, case. So, um, what happened was that there was a, a writer, um, Mr. Neville Shoot Norway. Um, good and name. Good name, and the interesting part about that. Um, so, that, sorry, I'm just going to bore you with lots of trivia to start with, which is sort of. It's
1: not boring at Tangential
0: all. to to tax. Anyway, Neville Shute Norway was also known as Neville Shute, so that was his pen name, and he wrote uh, books and uh, movies. And one of the movies that uh, that came about from his from his writing was called On the Beach. So this was so he wrote it in the late 50s. And it was dealing with World War Three, and there was a nuclear holocaust in the northern hemisphere, and so these people got um, marooned in Melbourne, and it was sort of the last place that the radiation hadn't crept to. Anyway, poor. <laughs> um, so the the other the other part of that is that um, so his his real name Neville Norway, he kept that because he was also a uh, aeronautical engineer, and he didn't want people to to take his engineering services less seriously. So he had Neville Shooters his pen name, and Neville Norway as his uh, his engineering.
1: I'm just going to no. pause you there. I don't know any trivia competition that would come up with this sort of question, <laughs> but if surely, it comes, surely. if it comes, I think everyone will be uh, thanking you. Anyway, back to back so, to Neville um, Shoot, Norway. Right. So,
0: so yeah, anyway, good uh, book and if you like your, your dystopian fiction, then have a read of On the Beach. Um, Anyway, the, the tax issue. So he dies in the the early 1960s and his executors are in Australia. Now, under the rules at the time, um, there was no – sorry, under the the will, there was nobody presently entitled to his income. So he yeah. was still getting all this royalty income from the, the books and movies. So there was nobody presently entitled to that income. And the issue was that the executors were Australian residents But the uh, High Court concluded that because the income was sourced outside Australia and because no beneficiary was presently entitled to that income, then there was no basis to tax that income in Australia.
1: Yep. So the High Court goes through source, looks at the income and the trustees are in Australia. Yeah. Making that that estate a resident trust, I guess, for Australian tax purposes.
0: That's right. But no, at the time, no jurisdiction to tax that Correct. that yep. income so um, that then identified a fairly large hole in what Parliament was comfortable with in terms of they wanted to tax that income yep. because we had an Australian uh, resident trustee yeah
1: all right, so what did the High Court say?
0: So the High Court says that um, in this case we can't tax the, uh, the trustee because it was um, foreign source yep. income and because no beneficiaries entitled to that income, um, there's no tax there. So the, the hole that, that left in the, the trust income provisions was really that it was then possible that you could have a foreign trust um, the foreign trust could accumulate foreign, foreign source income. Yep. income. No beneficiary in Australia was presently entitled to that income. Um, and then after a while, the foreign trustee could then distribute that um, accumulated foreign source income just as trust capital yep. sometime later. And there was no taxing provision there that would allow you to tax that that trust capital when it came to an Australian resident.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, clearly we're not happy uh, with that gap in the legislation. So section 99B is then enacted. Uh, what's its purpose?
0: Yeah. So um, it came with a suite of changes. So really there was a, there was a series of provisions mm. that updated the, the trust provisions um, and the relevant one that we're looking at 99B. Um, another fun fact in terms <laughs> of this legislation is that it's also the same amending act that introduced 100A so would we have a look
1: of course because anything from section 99 to 100 and 100 a has the same you know fun things that we can talk about yep. that's
0: right and i mean if we think about some of the pain that we had to go through for 100 a in the drafting, yeah. in the, drafting the, the last 12 18 months or so um 99b is really it, I mean, it's drafted by the same people yeah. so um, it
1: reads like that too i think yeah
0: yeah so uh, Yeah, so where we get to with that is that there's – so it took 10 years um, after the High Court handed down their decision in union fidelity to then introduce Section 99B um, to close that gap. So um, And essentially what it does is it it identifies the gap that you could have an Australian resident could set up a foreign trust, accumulate the income in the foreign trust, not pay tax on it because nobody's presently entitled to that income – and then distribute a capital amount sometime later tax-free. Yep. So Section 99B jumps in and says, well, we need a, a separate taxing provision that is going to tax the distribution of the trust capital.
1: Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. All right. So let's fast forward then. So that happens in, correct me if I'm wrong here, but in sort of late, 70, late 70s, 1979? Yeah, 1979. 1979. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There you go. So a bit of time has passed since 1979. So there's some pretty significant shifts in, I guess, how society operates these days. Uh, firstly, I guess discretionary trusts have been a lot more yeah, prevalent or a lot more popular, yeah. especially overseas as well as in Australia. Yeah. Um, I read something that you'd written recently that you've been told on good authority that there was a rise in the popularity of a discretionary trust in the 70s and 80s. I have
0: that on Good authority. Okay. I, I was probably a little bit too young to yeah, uh, I was have my own say. discretionary trust back then. But.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly right. I was going to say I was born in, uh, I don't even know if I should say this, but I was born in 1988, <laughs> Expo year, so it's nice. probably a bit before my time. Um, okay, the other big thing that has happened is immigration patterns. So you've got mm-hmm. – um, Issues where you've got people from younger generations, I think in particular, picking up on your um, you know, your example of the New Zealand um, citizens earlier on. Yep. So you've got the younger generation moving to Australia, living in Australia, which triggers potential 99B issues, but particularly when the older generation then starts to pass away and move on. Yeah. Um, so all of those points, I think, then create this, well, in a lot of cases, inadvertent, inadvertent application of 99B. If it's not something that you're thinking about or that you know about or you have regular advisors that can pick up on these issues, it's often the case that it um, you know, can create some dramas without you even knowing that um, it is creating those dramas. Yeah. So all of this, I think, means that we have more trust estates for the purposes of 99B. I want to go now to the actual section itself I'm not going to read it out but there's four key I guess elements before we even figure out sort of the amount that's included in the Australian beneficiary's accessible income mm-hmm. um, what are the four key elements the first one is that there has to be an amount
0: has to be an amount has to be property of a trust estate yep. um, it has to be paid to or applied for the benefits
1: it's one of our five-word five, five word phrases or yeah. six-word phrases. It's a favourite phrase.
0: And we need um, the person who receives the payment or the benefit to be an Australian resident beneficiary at any time in the year of income.
1: Okay. Don't get ahead of yourself. I, I know the any time during the year of income is important, but we'll get to the timing bit later on. Okay. So the first two episodes, or first two elements rather, are that we need to have an amount that's property in inverted commas of a trust estate inadvertent cop- comments. Mm-hmm. So I just want to touch on the word property at this point. How broad is the word property? So it seems to me that if I'm getting, you know, uh, $3 million from my deceased grandmother in New Zealand, who doesn't exist, but that would be nice, mm. um, that amount of cash could be property.
0: Correct. Yeah.
1: What about a in-specie transfer of real property, for example? Is that an amount?
0: Yeah, so I think there's two there's two parts of it. The, the word property is very broadly mm. um, defined. So property will pick up cash, but it will also pick up, uh, for example, real property or uh, other things like shares, units and unit trusts, um, debts, that they can all be forms mm. of property of a, a trust estate. So um, I don't think we would be able to, if we wanted to, I don't think we'd be able to argue that um, something was excluded from the Um, Scope of property; it might not be subject to a trust estate, and I'll get to that because otherwise, yeah, don't skip ahead. Don't skip (laughs) (laughs) ahead. All in good time. Um, We're on a very uh, important sequential order.
1: Yes, we are.
0: (laughs) Um, And the 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 second part of it, though, is the section refers to an amount. So, you know, it's it's clear that in the New Zealand example that we were talking about earlier, where we've got real property and the trustee is selling that real property and is then distributing the cash Cash. proceeds from the real property to the beneficiaries, the distribution of those cash proceeds is an amount. Um, And we tend to find that that's the more common way to deal with it, particularly where you've got multiple beneficiaries. But if it was, for example, that um, all of the property was just going to come to you, um, then you might get a different result if you had the trustee had the power to make an in-specie distribution of the actual, let's say, the farm.
1: Of the property, In yep. New
0: Zealand and that that was distributed to you. Um, there's a, there's a, a live issue there as to whether that falls within the scope of an amount. I mean, on an ordinary meaning of the word amount, I suspect it doesn't. Yeah. Um, I, I think the issue then would be um, whether or not we're caught by something broader in Section 99C. Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay, we'll get to that too. All right, so that's property. Then it needs to be property of a trust estate. So what are your common trust estates that we see? Discretionary trusts that we've covered off, deceased estates. Yep. What else have we got?
0: Yeah, um, we'll have testamentary trusts. Yep. So that, uh, that will typically form a, a trust estate. The, the ones that we see that have to do some more digging as to whether or not we've actually got a trust estate um, tend to be more like your superannuation mm. funds, um, and often it, we've got uh, foreign superannuation funds. Now, one thing with that is that um, there's, spec- uh, there's spe- there are specific <laughs> rules uh, in relation to foreign superannuation funds, and the the issue though for our purposes is a lot of people will think that they've been contributing to a foreign superannuation fund. Mm. So it might be a four hundred and one k, for example, uh, in the US, but from an Australian tax point of view, what feels like a foreign superannuation fund because somebody's been contributing to it during the course of their employment often doesn't qualify as a foreign superannuation fund as defined. Um, and that, what, what that means is that if it's not a foreign superannuation fund as defined, it's just a trust estate. Yeah. Um, probably the other one that we see a lot or having to do a lot of work around is where, uh, people have got managed funds. Mm. So they've got units in a managed fund. Is that a unit in a trust estate, or do we have a debtor creditor relationship? Is the um, you know the the financial institution are they acting as a broker? Yep. Um, or have they actually created a trust? Trust and
1: holding something on trust yeah, for yeah, yeah. the beneficiary, and I guess that's the that's the key. We've got to go back to the constituent documents and to this the the, the documents of the that's right. trust inadvertent advertent commerce. To figure out exactly whether or not there's property being held on trust for the benefit of someone else
0: yeah it'll have either a, a trustee or governing rules yeah. or a constitution, something like that.
1: go back to some good old trust law from university Fletch
0: yeah, well, and in foreign jurisdictions
1: <sighs> yeah, so step one, get the trustee translated into <laughs> English. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a good point because I think that that we will get to the evidence later on, but I think that that's one of the obvious things that tends to go missing in these types of matters, whether or not we have the constituent documents, the trustees, the governing documents, and whether or not those governing documents are in a yeah you know, English version that we can read mm. to be able to sort of meet taxpayers' burden of proof, but I digress. Yeah. Okay, so we've got uh, – that means we've got the amount um, – an amount that's property of a trust estate,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, the next um, phrase that I want to look at is this phrase that is paid to or applied for the benefit of mm-hmm. the resident beneficiary at any time of the year part. Yeah. But let's go to a paid to or applied for the benefit of. Paid to seems relatively straightforward. straightforward. Yeah. Someone pays me a sum of money equals paid to, what happens uh, or how do we, or how broad is the phrase applied for the benefit of and what sort of things are generally included in this?
0: Yeah, glad. And I'll aren't. flag
1: 99 C here. <laughs> yeah,
0: because that's really good. <laughs> because
1: there's a specific list of things that do get included, but they're not exclusive. Like yeah. they're not an exclusive list.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the real the real catch with this. So um if you can picture in your mind's eye, so ninety nine C says that applied for the benefit of means that a benefit has been applied for the benefit of the beneficiary in a Such very
1: circular high logic I love
0: high it. level and um and then it, it says, so that's subsection one of section 99C. Subsection two then says, and all of these things are deemed to be applied for the benefit of a beneficiary. Now, the the trap, the psychological trap with that is that you jump straight into the specific things that are listed in 99C2 and you don't go through the gateway section in 99C1, which is, has any of this amount been applied for the benefit of a beneficiary or not? So you have to figure that out first. And there's a whole stack of ways as to how that um, could possibly happen. Helpfully, 99C2 gives us some high-level examples of that, um, and the uh, uh, which we'll talk through. Um, but the, some of the language of 99C2 is, you know, I'm not even sure that it's straight out of 1979 as opposed to <laughs> 1939. But <laughs> anyway, you might need your dictionary to, uh, to understand what all the words are. So it, it talks about that essentially in amounts deemed to be applied for the benefit of a beneficiary if so. Our first one is that the amounts reinvested, accumulated, capitalised or otherwise so that it's been dealt with, so this is by the trustee, and at a future time will inure for the benefit of a beneficiary. So that's inure, E-N-U-R-E, for the uh, uh, to go and find <laughs> out the meaning of anure will be the, the homework for today. Um, and then we're talking about an amount has been applied um, so that it increases the value to the beneficiary of a particular benefit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, this, the third one is that the beneficiary has been uh, become entitled to receive any benefit. And then it talks about including a loan or mm-hmm. a payment of a loan. Um, now, there's a, there's a real issue with this. So, a trustee might extend by way of loan a sum of money to a beneficiary. Yep. Um, the question then is: Well, if the the trustee extends that amount of money to the beneficiary on arm's length terms, um, takes security on arm's length terms, as if the trust was just a bank, mm-hmm. um, is that then a benefit that's then uh, obtained by the beneficiary? Or,
1: yeah, some of an amount that's applied for the benefit of.
0: Yeah, so there's a there's a real issue there because I think um, again, without wanting to jump ahead on the potential of double taxing points, but if you've got a trustee, so you've got that the New Zealand Trust and the trustee and you want to buy a, a property mm-hmm. um, in Brisbane for $3 million, so you say to the trustee, hey, can I borrow $3 million, please? And the trustee says, oh, well, I've got to consider these other beneficiaries, but yes, I'll give it to you on arm's length terms provided I get a mortgage over the the property that you're going you to buy. And pay interest in. it, yep. Yeah, so the the ATOs um, had a view in private rulings that they've said, well, that loan, even though it's on arm's length terms, is still subject to 99B yeah. through section 99C. So you would have to pay then tax on the $3 million loan amount that you've received. So, you know, 47 cents in the dollar, let's assume that you're going to lose half of that in tax. So the, the answer is probably don't do that.
1: Probably go see one of the banks.
0: Probably yeah. go and see a bank. But then, I mean, the theoretical question that comes back is that assuming that you repay that loan as you're required to do because you've got arm's length terms and because the trustee's taking a mortgage over it, so assuming that that's genuine and you've repaid that money, what happens then when the trustee then distributes that $3 million in 30 years' time to another beneficiary who's an Australian tax resident? Mm. So we'll have a taxing point on the loan that's come into Australia. It will have a taxing yeah. point on the distribution as well. So a query. I also that-
1: question the benefit in that circumstance. Like if I'm not getting, like I accept that you get a yeah you know, an amount, an amount of money for a loan. But if I could otherwise prove, and I I guess that this will be where the, I guess where the issue lies. But if you can otherwise prove that another financial institution would be able to lend you that money on the same arm's length terms, what benefit are you actually obtaining?
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: I mean, I can see an argument if, uh, you know, the only way that I could possibly borrow that money would be for the trust in New Zealand. If that's the only possibility, then perhaps.
0: Mm. But that's a good point. But I, it's I think the
1: word benefit, I think, that is yeah, key then. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and if you think about the loan that you've got um, on your house at the moment, I mean, I certainly don't consider any loan that I've got from a bank at the moment to have been extended <laughs> for my benefit <laughs> with the interest rates going up, the the rate that they are and the annual fees that's going up. The
1: big banks are <laughs> doing your favours, Fletch.
0: <laughs> so, um, yeah, so a query whether that's um, that's the the correct position I think you get a different result if somebody extends the loan and then uh, the loan is forgiven. I think uh, you've got a yeah, taxing absolutely. point at the time of forgiveness yep. um, because that's then really an amount supplied for your benefit. At then, if you've got three million bucks that's advanced by way of loan and then the trustee says, Oh, I'll forgive that for you i think that falls squarely within 99c1 yeah.
1: you're also probably in territory as to whether or not you're um you're questioning whether or not that loan is a genuine loan or is it something else to start you know with. is it a capital distribution that would that 99b would ordinarily attract its, or attach itself to you yeah, know yeah
0: that's right and i think that that's this will become more important to get to the bottom of because um, the experience that i've had is that when these trusts um, uh, the generation who set up the trust when they're passing away and then it's left to the kids to sort out what what happens to this this cash. Um, often the kids are requesting the trustee um, advance funds to them at different times. Yeah, and not in one. Yeah, at, not at the same time. So somebody's requesting an early distribution of funds to them because they need it because you know they want to buy a reason, house or they, they want to like buy a car or they whatever got it is. Fees to pay, yep. whatever it happens to be. So y- you do end up with this situation where there's genuine loans from the trustee out to a particular beneficiary, and that's possible. Um, but the trustee is also mindful that they've got to be in their um, you know in their mind they've got to be equal among the beneficiaries. Yeah. so one way is to to advance the funds on genuine arms length terms and you keep all the beneficiaries at, at parity then. Um, until you're dealing with all the trust same, trust yeah. yeah, it's one go.
1: Okay, so uh, that's a brief rundown on applied for the benefit of. Uh, oh, I'm
0: sorry, I didn't get to the oh. last two. Do you oh, want yeah, to? No, keep yeah no, no, alone, no, keep going. Yeah, no, 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 keep going.
1: Keep going. Keep um, going.
0: So the, the the fourth one is that the beneficiary's got the power, and this is important. Whether with or without mm. the consent of another person, to get the beneficial enjoyment of that amount. So I I think the risk here is that particularly when um, the mum and dad generation are passing away, typically there will be a provision there that – so often the trust will have an appointor. In Mm -hmm. Australia we'll often call it an appointor. Um, Overseas they'll often call it a principal or guardian of the trust. And the the issue is that if mum and dad overseas pass away and that role passes to an Australian resident beneficiary Mm – Typically that role will give them the right to sack the trustee mm-hmm. and often will give them the ability to appoint themselves as trustee. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a real risk if your Australian resident picks up that appointor, principal or guardian role um, that, I mean, really, if that then gives them the power to replace the existing trustee with themselves, they're close then to being able to appoint all of that trust capital to themselves. To themselves.
1: Yep. Okay, and then the last one.
0: Uh, yeah, and the last one then is that the beneficiary has assigned their interest or is able to assign their interest uh, in the the trust. So as soon as they've got the ability to assign interest that they have, I tend not to see that one come up too often because it assumes that they've already crystallised an interest. Yeah, they've they've crystallised their interest in a discretionary trust.
1: Ship has already sailed. That's yep, it. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Okay, now we've we've polished off uh, the deeming. Nice uh, circumstances in ninety nine C too. Are you happy that we can, uh, we can we can move on from yeah, that? Yeah, I'm yep, happy. I'm if glad. happy. <laughs> okay, so the next one is a timing question. So we need a resident beneficiary who's a resident at any time of the year, and I emphasise the phrase at any time. What's the timing issue when it comes to this part of ninety nine B? Oh,
0: uh, this is probably the
1: the most common trap,
0: yeah, the largest trap. With Do you reckon this? it only
1: comes yeah. about because people is it an awareness thing? Do you think that people move here and then yeah. realise that they have something that they need to deal with rather than dealing with it before they move?
0: Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. And the other thing is that it's also from an advisor's point of view, it's counterintuitive because it's against the other rules that we've got in relation to timing. So, yeah. You know, you would ordinarily think that if somebody immigrates to Australia on um, what are we today the the middle of December, nearly Christmas time, um, you would think then that their tax presence starts from today's date. So exactly any income, anything
1: that, beforehand, all foreign, yeah, and foreign that's supported. Sourced.
0: Yeah, any income that they derive from the date that they become a resident will be subject to tax in Australia. Um, the CGT assets that they hold when they become a resident. Um, you know, assuming they're not a temporary resident, they'll get the the market value yep. or form their cost base for those assets. So we're all geared to think about your residency start date as being the date that you mm. jump into the Australian tax net. But the the problem in this case, so let's just say that. Um, you immigrate to Australia on today's date um, and you received a distribution from your Nan's Trust in New Zealand uh, of $3 million and you received that on the 1st of December. Happy birthday. Hey. Um, and so you received it while you are a non-resident um, but you've received that distribution during the income year in which you've become an Australian tax resident. So suddenly that $3 million is subject to to tax in Australia under 99B, which is a horrendous result. It's woeful, um, isn't it? So realistically, I mean, at that point, um, you're grabbing your passport and you're back at Brisbane Airport. You say, oh, actually immigrating to Australia is Thanks, not quite Australia. As, This is not a good idea. <laughs> not quite as rosy as I had first uh, anticipated. So, I mean, all this is, is not a problem if you're aware of the issue before 1 July 2023. So... It's about becoming aware of the issue beforehand and dealing with your assets overseas appropriately beforehand before you immigrate to Australia. Before
1: you come, yeah. Okay, that's probably a good time for us to take a break. Fletch, uh, stay with us because we're going to run through some practical examples after the break. Right, welcome back. So before the break, we were talking Fletch about the different elements of Section 99B, and I wanted to get that out of the way before we figured out mm-hmm. sort of the exact amount that gets included in uh, a beneficiary's assessable income in the relevant year. But before we get to the calculation of what is that amount, I want to run through an example of someone who's immigrated to Australia. Mm-hmm. So. Say I have uh, a friend who is a German citizen, grew up in Germany, Mm -hmm. married an Australian girlfriend of mine, uh, and then moved to Australia in 2014.
0: This is not hypothetical, is it?
1: Uh, You know, it's taken somewhat from real life. I do have a German friend who married an (laughs) Australian girlfriend, (laughs) as you know. Um, He then receives a capital distribution from a German trust that his father, who's still in Germany, controls uh, the capital includes accumulated income since, let's just say, 1980. So, before mm. my uh, German citizen friend, who's now an Australian resident, uh, was born. Yep. What does the commissioner say about that?
0: Yeah. So, there's no – this is really comes back to that immigration timing point before. Yep. Um, and there's, there's nothing there that we could then say, oh, well – you know, any accumulated income before 2014 is not subject to Australian tax, which is a, in some ways, it's a really counterintuitive result. So you've got um, mum and dad living in Germany, um, the trust set up from 1980, assuming they're still in Germany. The son immigrates to Australia in 2014. There's really no connection with Australia before 2014. Before that point. Mm-hmm. So the question is well, why does Australia then get a tax? accumulated income from the german trust between 1980 and 2014 the, the short answer to that question is that we can't argue that there's a reason to um to say that you, you're not taxing anything before 2014 so the the commissioner's got interpretive decision out there 2011 mm-hmm. 93 where he says it's really clear from the language that um whatever the trust capital is distributed two-year Australian resident beneficiary, it's that amount that's included. So, there's no cut-off date that then says, oh, just accumulated income after, you know, in our example, 2014.
1: Okay. I'm going to quickly skip to 99C. So, 99C, and in a sense that um, as a general rule, you can't uh, interpret the tax legislation that gives a result uh, that means that there's an amount that's subject to double taxation. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, it's very clear in the words of the legislation that that's what was intended, Mm -hmm. that there was a double taxation event that was intended. I don't think we're in that territory with 99B. I don't think that's uncontroversial. So say my friend in this hypothetical situation is not an Australian resident at the time that not the amount is paid to him, but the amount is applied for his benefit. Mm -hmm. And then later receives the payment as a capital distribution. Mm-hmm. Does ninety nine C help us in that situation? Because we've got to go through that applied for his benefit situation um, circumstance mm-hmm. yep. at a point when he's a non resident. Assuming that he is a non resident at yeah, that yeah. stage.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a very good um, a very good point to bring up because you shouldn't end up with the circumstance that the same amount can be taxed two or three times. Yeah. So and there's some high court authority. Um, of Justice Dixon in Executive mm-hmm. Trustee that says unless it's really clear, I think it it's says express. beyond, yeah, yeah, it's beyond doubt yep. that the intention is to tax this amount multiple times, then you can't favour uh, an interpretation that would tax it multiple times. The, the example that you give there is not so far-fetched um, in the sense that often what we find is that the, the overseas trust, something will happen to it under the terms of the trust when the initial, or just say mum and dad in this context, when they pass away. Yep. And often that will then um, crystallise the entitlements for beneficiaries. So in your example here, let's just say that the, the controllers of the trust passed away in 2010 and that then crystallised the entitlements for the beneficiaries in 2010. And That's the other thing. Often this happens without warning because you don't get to plan Well, most cases you're not going to get planned
1: when you pass away.
0: So um, the the, the question then would be, well, have they already had an amount that's been applied for their benefit in 2010 because that amount's crystallised for them. They're entitled to call on the trustee to either reinvest it or capitalise it. So back in our 99C territory, Mm -hmm. um, it's an amount that is definitely for their benefit so it's not then subject to a discretion of the trustee to distribute it elsewhere. If that happened in 2010, when that amount's eventually paid to them in Australia in 2023. Four years later, yeah, whenever. or whenever. Whatever yep. it is. Um, are you allowed to include that amount in your assessable income at that point? So um, I, I think that there's a, a very strong argument then that you can't have multiple taxing points in those, those circumstances.
1: Seen a case that supports this?
0: I, I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> or I, I,
1: does, new, does Justice Hill get there
0: close? Yes, I think the the two ways that you'd go is you'd take um, Justice Dixon's remarks in Executive Trustee, which is just at a high level, and then Track New Holdings um, is an interesting one as well because in Track New Holdings, so it was um, a decision of Justice Hill in 1991. Um, Now, at first blush, you might think, oh, that's 12 years after um, 99B was introduced, but actually the fact pattern in Track New Holdings was 1980, and the alarming part about Track New Holdings is that there was no foreign trust. So, Track New Holdings yeah. was all an avoidance scheme dealt with in the eastern suburbs of Sydney in 1980. So, it's not bottom of the harbour, but you could see the bottom of the harbour from there. Um, is that a good dad joke? Or we'll just skip over that one.
1: We're just going to, yep, move on from okay, that. But anyway, <laughs>
0: um, it's got to be
1: a pretty good dad joke for me to respond. Yeah, but no, you'll know when I do. Okay,
0: good, good. <laughs> I'll. I'll Work harder. Um, And the so in Track New Holdings, so no foreign trusts involved and the ATO ran the case that it was avoidance under Section 260, so Mm -hmm. the predecessor to Part 4A. Um, And uh, in the alternative, it was subject to tax under Section 99B. And Justice Hill's remarks were along the lines of um, it's not necessary for me to look at whether you need to read down section 99B so that it's consistent with its legislative purpose. So basically, saying to the ACO, this isn't 99B is not supposed to be applied to Australian resident trusts, um, and there's a material risk that if you're going to apply it to Australian resident trusts, that we need to read section 99B down so that it only applies to foreign trusts because mm. it's. Yeah, and you get to that that point there that the explanatory memorandum is super clear the, of the mischief that it's designed to to address. But
1: there's nothing in the wording of the section that limits it in that way.
0: No, it's in the um, it's part of it's in the the heading. Um, I think there still is a technical argument that you get there, but it's definitely not expressed. Not
1: expressed. No, no, it's definitely.
0: So, yeah, on a first read through. There's nothing in 99B that would prevent it from being yeah. from applying to an Australian trust,
1: and I think Justice Holdings, I mean Justice Hill rather in Track New Holdings, acknowledges that. Yeah, you know, he sort of says if you read just the section, yeah, without its context, then it could arguably apply. Yeah, but that's then where we get into some issues because that's not. It's not the purpose of where it's come down to. So I guess you go through your, your fun statutory interpretation principles, um, yeah. which you and I love but not everyone may love, so <laughs> we might put a pin <laughs> in it there. But looking at the text and context and purpose of the legislation, I think, is in point of important for 99B.
0: Yeah. I think that that's – and I think the other point to add is that there's um, – there have been no further cases since Track New Holdings that I'm aware of where Section 99B – um, has come up for an Australian, an Australian resident, resident trust. trust. So yeah. it might have been that those warning words in 1991 were sufficient to limit it, at least practically, if not legally. And, uh, the other thing that's, um, that's changed since then is Part 4A has been introduced. So the commission has got a much more sophisticated avoidance mechanism to deal with something like an avoidance scheme in the yeah. eastern suburbs of Sydney that has no foreign...
1: Um, yeah, yeah. And I suppose correct me if I'm wrong, but Track New Holdings was a bit of a you know, an eighties trust stripping yeah. arrangement. So you've also got things like hundred A that comes in at the same time as ninety nine B, which seems yeah. to be
0: Well, that was the other the other comment from Justice Healer, was that section one hundred this is a section one hundred A case. Yeah, it
1: is. It's so. a
0: it's a general anti-avoidance,
1: or yeah, hundred A yeah. case. Anyway, we digress. We should do a top. We should do a podcast on hundred A though. That would be a good topic. I we think. Should. We'll put that in the New Year category. Happy New Year. Um, okay, so that's, um, I guess, an immigration example. I also want to touch on our temporary residence friends because I think that they can have. Uh, you know, particular issues that pop up for 99B. So walk us through who is a temporary resident and why it can be a complicating factor for the application of 99B.
0: Yeah. So I think the the first thing, particularly for New Zealand trusts, one of the, the first places that I go is to check is to whether, New Zealand, yep. Yeah, to check whether so we've got an Australian resident beneficiary because they're living in Australia. In Australia. So they've decided that the Gold Coast or the Sunshine Coast is a a lot warmer than um than Dunedin. Um, so they've they've immigrated to Australia at that point. Um, the first thing to check is whether or not they're a temporary resident. And the reason that that's important is that temporary residents still get the benefit of some highly concessional tax treatment mm. in Australia in the sense that they're taxed on their Australian-sourced income um, and only certain types of foreign source income, which are essentially their employment income or personal services yep. income. So the, the question then is that if you're an Australian resident beneficiary and you're a temporary resident and you get a distribution from a New Zealand trust, um, is that foreign source income? Yep. Bearing in mind, it'll be capital. Um, and if it is foreign source income uh, you th- is then non-assessable, non-exempt under the temporary resident provisions. provisions. So the, the, the ATO accepts that this is the case, but the uh, as with all of these things, the devil's in the detail in checking that somebody's a temporary resident.
1: Yep. I'm going to pause you there. What's the specific? So, the like a really common example that we see of a temporary residence are our New Zealand citizen friends. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's because they can hold a special temporary visa that's and special. still – Sorry? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is actually called a special, special (laughs) special category visa. visa. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That pun was absolutely intended. Um, And that's a temporary visa that's granted under the Migration Act. So I guess when you're checking for whether or not someone's a temporary resident, the first thing you need to look at is whether or not the visa they hold is a temporary visa, which is defined in the Migration Act. So we need to go there. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: The next one is uh, that you're not an Australian resident within the meaning of the Social Security Act.
0: Mm -hmm. What's the
1: definition of resident? I'll put you on the spot here. What's the definition of an Australian resident under the Social Security (laughs) Act?
0: (laughs) So you've got to be either an Australian citizen, Australian permanent resident, um, or you've got to be a protected SCV holder. So um, in these matters, when we're asking people about whether they're going to meet the temporary resident status for tax purposes – and the other thing is, it's just not a vibe. It's just not on the basis that I've been in Australia on a temporary basis. Like Some of our New Zealand friends have been here since 2005 um, and every time they're here, they're on a temporary visa and they've been yeah. you know, living and enjoying um, their concessional tax treatment for a long period of time in Australia. So the the, the other, and when we deal with that, so there's, The rules came in in 2001. So previously up to a point in time, um, New Zealand has got the benefit of social security in Australia. Those rules changed in 2001 and then there was some transitional provision. So we have to ask people a lot of questions about what they were doing in a 12-month period around 2001 to check whether they're a protected SCV holder.
1: Hopefully they can remember. Or just an SCV holder. Yep. Okay, and then you've got to be careful about – your spouse being oh, in Australia. Be how many times do you get tripped up on
0: that? <laughs> ever. So, and one of the joys, uh, you know, we get a lot of joy in giving tax advice. But one of the the peculiar joys that I find is that if we've got somebody in Australia on a temporary resident um, visa and they qualify as a temporary resident for tax purposes, and they're taking advantage of their temporary resident status for tax purposes, is to make it abundantly clear to them that they're not allowed to acquire a spouse. With yeah. in Australia, not who's, get
1: not get married, but acquire a spouse.
0: Yeah, unless they are also on a simple, similar temporary visa status yeah. and have temporary resident tax status, because if they marry an Australian citizen or permanent resident, oh, that could get really Ooh, expensive. There it goes. And as you say, spouse doesn't mean necessarily legal spouse, so yeah. it will also pick up um, de facto relationships. relationships. So I think living with somebody on a genuine domestic basis uh, can be a spouse and uh, can be a big tax cost. Mm-hmm. So just think about that when you're uh, when you're choosing your partners.
1: When you're choosing your partners, indeed. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the prenup. We'll talk to family lawyers about the prenup, but also consider your temporary residence status.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> All right, moving along now, uh, I want to talk about then the amount. So how do we figure out how much? is included in the beneficiary's accessible income and the Australian resident beneficiary's accessible income mm-hmm. at any time in that year. Um, 99B subsection two has all the amounts that are excluded. There's a big common one that we'll get to, but can you run me through, I guess, the first three and just generally what they're aimed at?
0: Yep. So the the first one, so the Just to take a step back, so 99B1 says the amount that you get is included Uh, in your assessable income, Um, and then uh, 99B2 then lists the amounts that you're allowed to exclude. Exclude.
1: Yep. Skip over the first one. Skip over the first one because that's because that's the big one. Yeah.
0: So then there's a series of amounts that you're allowed to exclude um, because, for example, they've been included in your assessable income under section 99 under 97, um, or the trustees had to be assessed and is liable to pay tax on it under 98, 99 or 99A, or it's been included in the assessable income of another taxpayer. So essentially it's to prevent double tax.
1: Yeah, so, so it's where amounts have already been included yeah. in so, the assessable income of so someone. So don't include
0: that yep. in a 99B amount. Um, and then uh, did you want to get to 99 b to a corpus?
1: Yeah, please. So the big one is corpus. Yes. How do we figure out the corpus of the trust estate, Fletch?
0: Yeah, good question. So um, the corpus itself just means capital. Yep. So it doesn't really take us very far in the sense of if we've got the trustee resolving to distribute trust capital to a beneficiary in Australia, then the whole amount is corpus mm-hmm. because it just means capital. Then we've got these brackets and they're um, – they're wonderful words that you have to go off into sort of Alice in Wonderland down the rabbit hole territory because they're full of hypotheticals and deeming provisions. But essentially, what- it comes
1: back to the issue that we started with to say this whole like part of the act was drafted by the same people. So, the by same, Alice. yeah, by Alice, maybe. Yeah. Maybe we're having tea parties. Who would have thought? <laughs>
0: And uh, they're off with their head. Um, So, yeah, so so we've got basically two types of trust capital. So the, the legal test that we're looking at is this amount of trust capital that you're getting, is it attributable to an amount that hypothetically had the trustee been an Australian resident taxpayer at the time, that trustee would have paid tax in Australia on it at the time. So if it's attributable to that amount, it's going to be taxed under Section 99B. If it's not attributable to that amount, then it won't be subject to tax under 99B. So, the types of things that um, will be excluded would be the initial capital of the trust.
1: Yep, the original.
0: So, yep, so the original just, corpus. Yeah, let's just assume that the, the capital was settled on the basis of creating a trust over a main residence. Yep. Um, so, running that through the legal analysis, you would say, uh, okay, well, if I was a hypothetical Australian resident taxpayer, um, is that amount subject to tax in Australia at the on the uh, at the time that that amount is settled mm-hmm. on the trust? So the answer to that question is no, no. Um, and so that won't form part of the assessable amount under ninety nine B. Yep. Um, similarly, you know, if we've got period, uh, people who are gifting funds into the the trust, so mum and dad earning assessable income and gifting after tax dollars into their trust over a period of time. Uh, if we think about the gift amounts, the legal test for the gift amounts—if um, the New Zealand trustee was hypothetically an Australian resident taxpayer, would it pay tax on the amounts that it received as by way of gifts? The answer to that is no. So it's covered by the the exclusion. Um, contrast that with in our New Zealand trust, for example, um, you know the property um, has increased in value over twenty years, and it was its original cost base was one hundred thousand dollars. Um, its sale proceeds were $2 million. So the sale is not taxable in New Zealand. So it won't be no. subject to the C- no capital no, gains tax no on that in New Zealand. So, But if we then apply that hypothetical, again, we're asking the question, if the New Zealand resident trustee, if hypothetically it was an Australian tax resident, would it have paid tax uh, in New Zealand on that amount? The answer is yes, it would be subject to, to capital gains tax, mm-hmm. on that amount. Um I mean you get some different results depending on whether the the property was in before 1985 for example you might have pre CGT property so it's some questions there as to how how far your hypothetical extends, extends.
1: Yeah, the yeah. devil will be in the detail yeah um and I want to touch on how many issues do you come across figuring out if, I mean, I understand the original corpus can be pretty easily identified, I imagine, but what about amounts that are gifted to the trust later on? How do you go about proving that they were gifts and do people uh, still have records? And if we're talking about trusts that are settled sort of in the 80s, yeah, what are we, you know,
0: it's really some difficult. 40 years later? Yeah, it can be really difficult. And particularly where I, I tend to have that exact problem come up a lot where we've got Channel Island mm. trusts. Um, And the reason for that is that there's no requirements to to keep keep the level of records um, over there. So, you know, they're doing what's required under the, you know, for example, the Guernsey law or wherever uh, the relevant law is. So it's consistent with that law. There's no real requirement um, at that time as to why you would bother keeping records that would meet an Australian Section 99B question if you're thinking about why they're keeping these records in the 1990s to deal with the potential that somebody might immigrate to Australia and then have a 99B issue. So it's really difficult to work backwards from there. One thing that I'd say, though, is that if the controllers of the trusts are still alive at the moment is that we've got to get a statement from them Mm. early on so that they can then say, oh, this is when it was settled, this is why I settled it, this was the initial contributions. Um, And then this is what I did in terms of making further contributions from after-tax dollars uh, along the way because sometimes I find that once they've passed away, if we're trying to find records, it's tough, it's heavy going. It's
1: very tough.
0: It's pre computers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. Okay, I'm going to go to a case now, Howard and the Commissioner of Taxation. Um, it provided an example of the corpus exclusion operating in practice. Uh, what happened? Well,
0: this is good now that we're in the Channel Islands, actually. Thinking yeah, about that's the, exactly uh, what
1: made me think of it. Yeah. yeah
0: nice. Um, So, Mr Howard, he was an Australian resident taxpayer and yep. so he got an amount from a non-resident trust. Uh, the trust that he received the distribution from was called the Asparto Trust. Um, in turn, what so he argued that the amount that he received from the Esparto Trust was covered by the exclusion. And the reason that yep. he argued that was that the Esparto Trust in turn had it got its distribution from another trust called the Juris Trust, which is a good legal name.
1: It yeah. is, isn't it?
0: Um, and then uh, the question then that you've got to ask is, well, where the Juris Trust get its its yep. trust capital from? Um, and it got its trust capital from a buyback, from a share mm. buyback. Now, the outside of 99B uh, land. The interesting part about that is that the proceeds from the buyback would be assessable. So, if yep. we apply that hypothetical test for the jurist trust, hypothetically, if it was an Australian tax resident, would it have paid tax on the proceeds it had received from the share buyback? The answer was yes. Yep. Um, and then, so the the full federal court then looked at that and said, well, you have to trace through the trusts. So you have to look. Okay, well, the Juris Trust got its amount from um, a sum that would have been assessable if, hypothetically, it was an Australian resident taxpayer. Yep. Therefore, the Esparto Trust also would have got this amount, hypothetically, if it was an Australian resident trust taxpayer. Yep. It would have been subject to 99B because the Juris Trust was amount subject to tax under the buyback provisions. So, you know, essentially We traced amount, through. Yep. We traced through and, and poor Mr Howard doesn't get the exclusion that he's after.
1: Unfortunate. Um. Okay, so... That happens then with, I guess, some t- discretionary trusts. Uh, what happens then with deceased estate and tr- testamentary trusts? Because you can get a different result for them just because I think of the nature of,
0: yeah, you know, right. the
1: deceased estate.
0: Yeah. So what will typically happen with the deceased estate is that the the original corpus of the estate will be the um, the assets of the deceased at the time yeah. of death. So that that's what forms the the trust. In inverted commas, property of the the deceased estate. So really what that means is that you, know, you might have a situation where, um, sorry to pick on the, the New Zealand friends again, but you might have a situation where you've got a deceased estate in New Zealand and it might have $3 million worth of assets in the deceased estate. You could have a family trust that sits alongside it that needs to be wound up as part of the same um, same distribution process, process. Um, it might also have $3 million in it. The $3 million in the deceased estate, if that comes out straight away, it probably won't be subject to 99B because the exclusion will apply. So it will be subject to 99B. There's no amount. There's no amount, yeah. But the the family trust um, will potentially have a 99B amount. Now, if you've got um, siblings on both sides of the Tasman, um, there's some work to be done there to make sure that you're not, for example, distributing all of the capital from the family trust to an Australian resident beneficiary and lumping them with a massive Australian tax bill um, when you get a completely opposite result if they were getting their distribution from the deceased estate. Mm. You know, subject to the terms of what the, the will says and what the, the trust provides for, but somebody needs to sit down and do that work before the distributions are crystallised.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, pause there. How do um, foreign tax credits fit into this situation if we pay tax over overseas?
0: Mm-hmm. So if the trustee has paid tax overseas and then um, the amount that is distributed to the Australian resident beneficiary is attributable to, yep. so the words that we're looking at is attributable to, and those words give us a little bit of flexibility in terms of trying to tie, in, you know, in this Case the tax credit to the amount that somebody receives, yep. but essentially, if the trustee pays an amount of foreign income tax, um, and that's attributable to an amount that somebody in Australia receives as a beneficiary, then the beneficiary will get a credit for the tax paid overseas. Yeah, it gets all very. You have to do a, uh, a spreadsheet exercise where you've got multiple beneficiaries and. Um, you know, there's only part distributions and that sort of thing as opposed to it's easy if the, the beneficiary gets all of the distribution because they'll get all of the foreign tax credit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. And how about uh, countries that we have double taxation agreements, the DTAs with, do the DTAs explicitly deal with the, you know, the 99B risk? Does it?
0: No, the, the DTAs will um, allow for a foreign tax credit. Yeah, to, to but pass that's about through. it. But that's about it. Um, they rarely deal with um, Section 99B itself it's because yep. it's a it's a specific Australian anti-avoidance provision. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and in terms of the foreign tax credit, while you would have a look at the the DCA. Um, I think most commonly they don't do much more in terms of foreign tax credit than what we've got under the domestic law. Anyway, yeah, yeah okay.
1: All right. Now the Commissioner has uh, brought out a couple of determinations in 2017, TD 2017, 23 and 24. Um, can you run through uh, what they say, how they apply?
0: Yeah, so the first one, the slash 23 one, um, was a bit of an academic piece that dealt with <laughs> what happens when you've got a you've got a foreign trust, as distributing uh, sorry it's selling a foreign asset so it's got a, a CGT event with respect to a foreign asset and there's this um, academic tension between Division eight five five which is yep. the the division that says foreign trusts that make foreign trustees that make um, capital gains in relation to non taxable Australian property um, those capital gains are disregarded for Australian yep. tax purposes. And Section 95 has a residency assumption mm-hmm. in it. So Section 95 basically says assume all trusts are resident trusts for the purpose of, of this division. So the TD says, oh, well, 855 overrides the, the residency assumption in 95. 95. But what it does is it gives a throwaway line then that says, oh, even though the, the trustees' capital gain may be disregarded, if that amount's distributed to an Australian resident beneficiary, it might be subject to tax under 99B. Yeah. Um, And then we have to go to slash 24. What um, 2017 slash 24 says is the commissioner then says, oh, this amount that the the Australian resident beneficiary is getting as capital, um, it's just a statutory income Income. amount. It's just a 99B amount. So it's lost its character as a capital gain. Um, and the effect of that is that you can't apply any capital losses. You can't assume that they get the general fifty percent
1: no discount discount.
0: Yeah. Um, so in my head, I think of it as two separate things, even mm-hmm. though it might get wrapped up in the same sort of course of events. Like the trustee is going to sell the property, yeah, um, and that will trigger a consideration of whether it's subject to capital gains tax in Australia. In Australia, yeah, assuming you've got a foreign trust and it's real property in New Zealand, for example, then there's no capital gains tax in Australia. The second point then happens is that the trustee then resolves to distribute part of that capital to the beneficiaries and somebody's an Australian resident.
1: All right. So that covers off on the 2017 tax determination. What are the other consequences if taxpayers get get this wrong? And I know that there are special interest provisions um, in the legislation. So run us through those.
0: Oh, the the there's some formulas in there. It's terrific. I know.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: takes you back to you year twelve. Could, I was going to say, go back to algebra and figure out where the formulas go. Excel does that for us these days, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, <laughs> but geez, this is a this is a painful one to deal with. If you have ever had to actually figure it out, not through a formula that's already been punched in for you. But essentially like there's an interest provision that in my mind seems to be double taxing the amount. That's
1: what I've always thought, you yeah. know. I've always yeah. wondered this. And then I go back to common law, you know, questions of whether or not the interest charge is a penalty. And yeah. you know, whether or not there's anything it's that can be arguable. Interest. Yeah, it's, it's
0: all part of the, it's all part of the propaganda of calling it interest. But
1: anyway, it, we digress. Uh, yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it's a it's a tough result as well because it, it deals with um so if you're getting your if you're getting your distribution from particular listed countries so mm-hmm. these are the ones that Australia rates as having you know comparable tax tax systems yeah tax systems and it's you know these are the elite tax systems um so um then those amounts, the interest charge won't apply except if it's in relation to um, certain eligible designated concession income, which is essentially types of income that those listed countries have chosen not to tax, like capital gains in New Zealand. In New Zealand, yeah. So, yeah, the interest charge is going to apply in those, uh, those circumstances. So the idea is that if it's subject to tax somewhere else, then 99B is not going to um, charge an interest amount on top of that. But if not, the, the harsh result there is that, you know, you're getting taxed on the increase in the value of the property because it's 40 years later or whatever it happens to be. So you're already paying tax. Through no
1: steps that you've done in that intervening period. Yeah, yeah. And it's already
0: on the exit price. Exactly. So... Um, yeah, so harsh result, but don't miss the interest component um, in that calculation. Uh,
1: particularly if you're advising on that calculation because it can be a significant sum.
0: Yeah, particularly if it's over a long period of time and particularly if you're giving advice that says to a client, um, you know, you could choose to do this and this would be your Section 99B liability.
1: Don't forget to include the yeah. interest. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Thanks for talking 99B with us today. Um, It's one of those sections that I think gives rise to inadvertent consequences and a lot of them, like Mm. it's one of those sections that I think sits there in the self-assessment system and people just are not aware of its application or figure out it applies um, when the timing may not work for them. Mm. Um, So just keep in mind that it's a section that you can trigger some pretty... Um, horrific consequences if you're unaware of it. And going through the process of trying to determine what the corpus is of the trust to then, you know, argue Mm. that that amount is excluded um, in the amount that you need to include in your assessable income can be difficult, particularly if you're dealing with, you know, old trusts or trusts that were established a long time ago that haven't kept detailed records or detailed financials. So Mm. I think it's important for people to think about, you know, that as early as possible.
0: And sometimes that's a hard question as well, because it might be that the younger generation has immigrated to Australia and so that they need to ask questions then about mum and dad's trust records. But geez, they need to ask those questions now, whatever family sensitivities there may be there. I guarantee that mum and dad won't want their kids to have horrendous Australian tax results because somebody's missed dealing with 99B. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, thanks very much. Um, As always, please feel free to leave us a comment or if you want to discuss any particular circumstances, give us a call. Uh, In the meantime, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, We'll talk to you in 2024. Fletch and I have just decided this morning that we're going to start season two in 2024. That's a commitment. (laughs) Our executive producer, Vicky, has asked whether or not that's legitimate because we've only got four or five episodes (laughs) in season one, but that's okay. It's our podcast. That's what we're going to do. Um, But uh, in the meantime, thanks for traveling to Taxland with me, Sarah Lancaster.
0: And me, Fletch Heineman.
1: Bye for now.